Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm really excited about this week's episode. So Jamie and I, we loved doing our freedom and responsibility episode. And apparently you guys did too, because a lot of people have listened to it and we've gotten a lot of great feedback on it. And that is a really big topic. So we decided to go right back in. So this week's episode, we talk more about freedom and responsibility, but we break it down a little bit more and we talk about how it can look uh, with different sorts of children you might encounter in your classroom. So we talk through all of that. It's really fun. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. So I want to take a minute to talk to you guys about a really, really great company called Sapling Supply. So Sapling Supply, they are fantastic. And they are one of our sponsors of all things Montessori. We couldn't be happier to have them as a sponsor. So Sapling Supply was founded by two Montessori dads. And they are a Montessori furniture company. So they're a family business of educators and artisans. And so they specialize in creating that beautiful foundation for a learning environment. It's handcrafted in the United States. And so they pride themselves on their sturdy, long-lasting furniture that is, it's really designed to support a wide variety of different Montessori classrooms. So I can personally speak to this. Um, I got the lap desk, the Sapling Supply lap desk from Sapling Supply. And um, it's incredible. It's not only beautiful, it's extremely functional. It is portable. It's not heavy. It's not hefty. It's not hard to store. It's in my office and I use it. My husband uses it. I made everybody in my family sit down with it. It's fantastic. I would recommend this product highly. So definitely check them out. I'm going to link them at the bottom of this episode. And they, as a sponsor, have made something special for our All Things Montessori listeners. So if you want to check out Sapling Supply and you are either trying to furnish your home environment, you're looking for things for your classroom that are uh, beautiful and long-lasting and really great quality, you can head on over to Sapling Supply. And uh, they gave us a special promo code just for our All Things Montessori listeners. So if you want to check out any of their products on their site, this is any product on their site, you can use the promo code ATM10 for 10% off anything on their site. Again, that is ATM10 for 10% off on any of their products. And thanks to Sapling Supply for being incredible. And we're excited to continue to work with them. And we hope you guys check them out. Hello, Jamie. How's it going? Hey, Rachel. Not too bad now that fall is here and the weather is mild and lovely. I know. Um, Speaking of fall, do you, did Halloween and trick-or-treating and all of that get totally canceled in your neighborhood? Have they, I mean, I'm assuming, but. They haven't made an official announcement yet. Same here. So. And it's like this ambiguous, weird thing. Um, it just reminds me because, um, my husband Xander was, he got like Halloween lights, I guess that he, he put up. Um, and then I, I was just thinking through, you know, I don't know what, it's just bizarre, right? It's another one of these traditional things that happens every fall. And this year we're, we're being faced with a, hmm, what are we going to do? What's happening? I know. I know. I know. know. But we're not talking about Halloween um, on this episode uh, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Um, We thought that we would dig a little bit deeper into freedom and responsibility 
our episode on freedom and responsibility um, was pretty popular. And it's also just a, it's an enormous topic. There's no way we could cover it in one episode. Uh, there's many layers. And so we thought we'd take a second look at it and dig a little bit deeper. Yeah. And especially, you know, deal with that question of that that I hear from teachers a lot, which is, you know, is every child capable of freedom and responsibility? Does yeah. it work for every child in the classroom? Because we all have encountered some children that that really make us question that, that really make <laughs> us wonder. <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> No, it's really, really true because I think when you uh, start thinking about freedom and responsibility and, you know, see how amazing it sounds in theory and how much it makes sense, then when you put it all together in the classroom and you see it and you see, one, how challenging it is to maintain that balance, but then also see how it how it manifests in different children because, you know, we are Montessorians it's an individualistic approach to every child. And in that way, they're going to have, you know, a different relationship with freedom and responsibility. And we have to help cultivate that. Yep. They're going to acquire the sort of uh, capacities at different rates and in different ways. And so, mm -hmm. it, you know, it is something that has to be our sort of expectations uh, for children's development of freedom and responsibility have to be unique for each of them, you know, really mm -hmm. what they what they are able to handle at any given time. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about these specific types of children that you might encounter. Well, I think I mean, you know, I hear I hear teachers oftentimes will talk about like, you know, this child in my classroom who, you know, doesn't work mm. or doesn't ever choose work or, mm -hmm. you know, how can I give them the freedom when they don't choose, when they never choose work. Right. That's a big um, one. That's a big one. And that's one I think, I think that's just big and it's common, right? You're always, I think you are most likely going to have a child like that or a couple in your experience. Um, I've definitely had them and I think it can be hard to figure out why they're not working, how to help them, um, when what you really feel is perhaps impatience and annoyance and frustration. So you don't know what to do, right? You're like, okay, I gave you this lesson. Why aren't you working with it? Or, you know, I've introduced so many things to you, but you don't choose any of them. It's really hard. It is hard. And I think what you said is really the key to it, though, Rachel, is that we as the adults have to figure out what what's getting in their way. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> because we know that humans are wired to work. You know, it is a human tendency. It's something that we're all, you know, really driven to do, you know, to do, to do some purposeful activity. And uh, so if children are not choosing that, then mm -hmm. we have to figure out what's getting in their way right? Like what's yep. going on there? We have to be kind of like detectives, sort of yes. figuring it out. Like, are they, is this a child who is really scared of taking a risk, really scared of, imp of failing? And so they just don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Is yeah. this a child who's um, scared of success and doesn't want to succeed and therefore doesn't choose to do something? Um 
is the child having some academic challenge that's getting in the way? Right. Is the child having some social challenge that's getting in the way? Like there's any number of reasons Uh children don't choose work. And so we just have to get to the bottom of it. Right. And what it never is, it's never, which is what I thought as a teacher, oh, they're just not listening to me and they're not, they don't want to do it because they don't want to, you know, I mean, it's, there's usually a reason because children want to do well. They want to do, they, you know, they want to work exactly like you said, it's human tendency. And I love how you phrase what's getting in their way instead of why aren't they working or why aren't they doing what I told them to do or something like that? Because that phrasing already, you're putting yourself way too much in control, you know, in a way. Um, But when you Mm -hmm. think you need to take a step back and say, okay, what's getting in their way? It's a whole different way of looking at the situation. Um, I've had to remind myself of that constantly because it can be frustrating when you're in the classroom and then perhaps you have a a concerned parent or maybe you really want them to perform well or I, I, whatever. Teaching is really stressful for so many different reasons. Um, but you have to just have the, the time to pause and observe and try different things and exactly be a detective, look at your observation notes, observe them in a lesson, observe them when they're working and you'll figure it out if you put in the time. Um, because that child isn't going to be able to tell you really what's going on. I think, right. You know what I mean? I I don't think they're going to come to you and be like, well, Jamie, the reason I haven't been doing this is blah, 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 blah. You know, they're they're not going to do that. I mean, not unless your relationship with them is that sort right. of strong and connected. And even right. still, some children are never going to be, right. you know, able to outright articulate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the observation is the key. And part of our work with observation is to remove obstacles to children's development yes. if we notice them. So that's what we have to, we really have to approach it from the mindset of, I know that all children want to learn and want to work and want to be engaged. And this child's struggling with that. Mm -hmm. So what's getting in the way and how can I help, you know, navigate and help that child navigate the obstacle? Um, So if they're not working, you know, maybe, I mean, also look at yourself. Like, are your lessons boring? Right. (laughs) Are you not, you know, like what's, Sometimes you you can get in kind of a rut and you're delivering yeah. presentations sort of, you know, mechanically rather mm-hmm. than being connected and inspiring. Or maybe you look at your records and you realize, oh, huh, well, I wouldn't be working either if these are the only lessons I'd had for the last three weeks. Yes. You know, because sometimes it could be that you haven't introduced anything exciting and new and that and you hadn't caught yourself. You know, you don't have to do a lot of self-blame at that point. It mm-hmm. happens to all no, of us. Totally. I remember one little boy in my class once where I was like, why doesn't he ever choose any science? Oh, guess what, Jamie? The reason he doesn't choose science is you haven't given a science lesson in like a month. <laughs> Oh, all right. (laughs) Then I, you know, slammed the poor kid with all these science options. You know, I just hadn't been doing a thorough reflection of my lesson planning. And it, you know, the result was he wasn't working. Um, So those are the things that we can think about rather than, you know, sometimes we start to sort of think, oh, they're doing this on purpose. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Mm hmm. And I, I mean, I, I understand how that feels because they, 
they get to know us pretty well, so they do know what might push our buttons. Yes. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's like that's a if that's the only reason a child is you know not working or not behaving in the way that you're you would like, um, you know they've got <laughs> they've got deeper problems. If that's oh yeah, if that's you know, usually there's like a ton of underlying things, and the fact that they're pushing your buttons on top of it is just you know some an added bonus. It's not yes. the reason that they're doing it. Exactly. And that's a really important thing to remember because um, that can really sink in. You can feel like it's a personal attack. Um, but yeah, you have to show the, the child that you're their ally. You're there to help them. You're there to guide them, right? You're not there to criticize and um, kind of expect things that maybe they can't give you, right? Like setting expectations for them to succeed, but you have to be a really crucial part of that. Um, and that's where that, just as we observe the children, that obs observation of your teaching and what you're doing, man, I've had those moments where I'm so down that no one's inspired. And I'm like, well, I'm not inspired. I haven't done anything fun. Like no wonder, right? And then once you get there, it's it's hard to to kind of realize that though, right? It's like, oh, I guess this was my fault. Um, but it's a good practice and it's not a big deal. Um, that self-blame can just be thrown out the window because it doesn't help anybody. Um, yeah, you make then, a million mistakes every oh day. Oh my God, fine. all the time. Yes, everybody does. And also, um, you know, if you, if you do this, if you try everything, definitely just don't be afraid to collaborate with the parents, especially if you think there's something else going on. Um, be careful with that. Um, as we've said before, we we are not here to diagnose. We're not licensed doctors, therapists. No, 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 no. We can just tell them what we see um, and just just be careful with that. But that's definitely like my, my point is work with the parents because probably they're experiencing a similar thing in the home um, and they can you can work together just like you're working together with the child. You can work together with them. Totally. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think as it relates like back to freedom and responsibility in the classroom, what what can be a sort of knee jerk response, even in those of us that have been working to really approach children um, in a Montessori way, our knee-jerk response can be, oh, well, this child's not working, so they're not being responsible, so I'm going to limit their freedom. They don't get to choose their own work. I'm going to tell them what to do. Yeah. And it's I totally understand the emotion behind that because we feel so responsible. Yeah. And there are times when children need more structure mm -hmm. to help them make choices and to help them work in the classroom. But to remove all their freedoms to choose their own work is not going to help them learn the skill of choosing their own work. Right. So what we really have to look at is what sort of scaffolding and structure do they need to get better at making independent choices and being engaged in work. So it could look almost like you're telling them what to do all the time, but instead it could be that that you know it, that you're helping them choose every single time they need to make a choice. Yeah. And you're limiting maybe the choices or right. you're but you're really trying to retain some of the choice in there so they get practice making that choice, feeling what it feels like to make that choice and fulfilling it. Um, so it's just, um, 
you know, we have to be careful. Again, we're not using freedom as a reward. And if you don't show responsibility, you lose your freedom. Like we're using (laughs) freedom as a capacity they have to develop. Sometimes the result of a lack of responsibility is that your freedom and your liberty is curtailed. That can happen, but it, it, it doesn't need to be the knee jerk response. You know, it doesn't need to be externally, you know, imposed on them. So we want to tread cautiously when we see children struggling to work or struggling to choose work in the classroom and really try to continue to support their capacity for that rather than take away the any choices and, you know, tell them what to do all day long. Right. Because then then you have all the control. They're going to be dependent on you and it's going to backfire. It just I'm saying this from experience. Um, Oh, yeah. And I yeah, I mean, it's it's it seems like a really simple and um, easy fix, um, but they're never going to be able to make exactly like you said, they're not going to be able to think for themselves really or make their own choices if if that becomes the norm. And what happens if they don't, what happens if they don't do what you've told them to do? Right. Then, right, then right. you're in a power struggle. And what exactly. do you do? You impose like negative consequences on them for not doing yep. what you told them to. I mean, then it, then you're, you know, you're spiraling and you're not collaborating exactly. on the real issue. So. Right. 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 Ugh. Yeah. It's, it's definitely hard, but, um, you know, keep in mind that this is, uh, freedom and responsibility in all areas. And the one that we're talking about right now, it, it just takes some time, you know, especially in the first couple months of school. Uh, I mean, everybody is just all over the place. You know, everybody has summer brain, you know, they're getting used to the classroom, you know, things are not going to be ideal for um, a while. And then even if they are ideal, things might fall apart again. It's a constant balance. It's a constant dance and just constantly, you know, it's just, you got to keep reminding yourself and also giving yourself a break, you know, um, and just, again, patience, 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 always. <laughs> always. Yeah. Always. Oh, my God. OK, let's talk about another sweet child that may be in your class. <laughs> um, I was thinking of the reverse of a child who works too much or chooses something of one subject like math or something. I would say I I don't think I've ever heard a teacher complain about a child only choosing math, but mm-hmm. I would consider that a problem because yeah. no, it, I would too. You know, anytime a child's choosing one area to the exclusion of others, I would want to figure out how to Why? get them yeah, how to get mm-hmm. them to do something else, but right. not by assigning it. Like right. if you've got right. somebody who loves something and you're forcing them to do something else for their own good, is that going to make yeah. them love the thing that you're dragging <laughs> them to? Right. Probably. Like, no, no, probably not. <laughs> oh, uh, no, but with elementary children, not. you can have reasonable conversations. So with depending on the child and of course this you know, you guides, you teachers really have to know your children and what the best approach will be. But with some children like that, you could just say, hey, I've been noticing that all you do is math, music, biology, whatever. And there's actually a lot of other stuff that we really need to be considering. <laughs> like, right. You, so you could have <laughs> an outright conversation with them. Um, you could 
bring that subject area into different subject areas so that Mm -hmm. it would ignite their interest. So if math is their passion, you know, really bring a focus to the math in music or the math in uh, biology or or chemistry or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think when you, you know, I mean, that's cosmic education too, you know, the blending of the subjects and the way that Montessori is taught. So um, it's really beneficial. And then it shows the child that not only that you know them and you know their interests, so it's that relationship building, um, but then you're going to sneakily introduce something else and then they're going to hopefully be inspired and interested. Um, and yeah, I mean, they might just be really obsessed with math for a few months and it's okay. I think Elementary children are some of the most passionate people I've ever met, and they will fall in love with something else. You know, it's just our job to sprinkle those inspirations and keep doing all the subjects. I mean, also on the teacher side of this, um, there might be some t- some subjects that you love teaching, and then there might be some that you are like, uh, like I'm t- I'm scared to do that. You know. Um, so it goes both ways. So, um, I like to think about it that way. Sometimes if I, if I'm scared to do something new, I'm like, well, they probably are too. Um, you just have to lean into it again and, and keep inspiring and keep making it interesting. And, you know, that spark, you know, that we want from them. Yeah. But don't, don't, you know, have that response of like, limiting what they get to choose, telling them what to do, assigning work, you know, that's not going to, like, it doesn't nurture the developing freedom and responsibility. It doesn't make them want to do the subject that you're trying to get them interested in by forcing them to do it. Like, it doesn't, it just isn't going to, it isn't going to solve, solve any of the issues at all. Um, Mm -mm. So I think, and Mm -mm. the same is true it's like the same sort of thinking um, is true if you have a child that ref- refuses to choose certain subject areas, a child that avoids yeah. math or avoids music or whatever. Um, forcing them to do it isn't going to m- make them want to avoid it less. Um, yeah. So it's really being innovative and building on that relationship you have with the child. You know, you really have to get to know them, feel connected to them, have them feel safe and confident with you, with you. And then they might be willing to take a risk or try something new. So true. That's really, that's crucial. So I think I hear from a lot of teachers when they're questioning whether freedom and responsibility works for every child. I think one that I hear about a lot is children who really struggle to regulate their emotions, and then the behavior that results from their emotions. So Mm, uh, mm -hmm. children who escalate to uh, anger and violence, maybe, or, or destruction in the classroom when they're, when their emotions uh, rise. Um, Yeah. And the, you know, this is a tough one, right? Because it does have big, um, has a big impact on the classroom. When a mm-hmm. child is, um, you know, it, when the when the emotions escalate and a child begins to, um, you know, kind of get uh, less in control of their 
their bodies, their voices, that sort of thing. That can, it can impact the whole classroom. It can impact the safety of other children. It can impact the safety of materials. So I understand completely the challenges of children who are, are struggling with that. Um, Yeah. And we have to keep in mind that, you know, again, even, even older children that are doing this, that it's, um, they're not doing it on purpose just to make everyone's life miserable. Nobody wants to put that kind of an emotional display out for the world to see on purpose, right? No. It, it really mm-hmm. is something that they're struggling. They're struggling. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But... Oh, yeah. I mean... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. It, well, and it, we just... It, it, we can't just say, well, this child can't be responsible, though, or this child yeah. isn't capable. Right. And so right. we have to limit their freedom because they might they might escalate. I, the, the, you know, with these sweet, wonderful humans who are usually are some of my favorite people when I've worked with them in the classroom Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a variety of schools. In fact, um, they're the ones who really need us more than anyone to help them Mm -hmm. figure out how to not have to go through that and how to be able to really exercise their capacities for freedom and responsibility. Um, And so, you know, these are the children we need to use our detective skills on most. You know, we really have to figure out what's getting in their way or shift the expectations so that it's something they're capable of meeting, that it's not so far out of what they're able to to do that they can't possibly try. We we always want our expectations to um, for children to cause them to stretch a bit, but yeah. we don't want our expectations to be so high that they actually don't have the skills to achieve them. Does that make yeah, sense? That's yes, it totally does because. Um, and I've had this happen where I thought a child was capable of something because they were super confident or I don't even remember the situation and then they weren't and seeing that happen, I was like, oh my God, um, cause it's devastating because again, as I've said, all children, they want to do well at the, at the baseline. They really, they want to do well. Even, even those ones in your class that maybe you don't think that they totally want to do well. There's just something in their way. Um, and so, yeah, we have to make those expectations, um, whatever they may be. Um, they have to make sense for each child because another thing, you know, the elementary classroom is such a social experiment, right? It's such a social place. And so everybody knows a lot about each other. And especially for these children who escalate, who, and it it happens, usually it happens quickly, but that doesn't mean that they've quickly escalated. Like usually if it's noise or anger or whatever, that's what happens quickly, but maybe it's been like festering for an hour a day, who knows? Um, My point being, I think you have to be careful with how you handle these things because other children in the class, while it might be a kind, open-hearted, lovely class or whatever you have, everyone's going to know what's happening just because it's loud. It's apparent. And just like you said, Jamie, no child wants to do that. It's embarrassing and it's 
hard and they're going through something and they don't know what to do. And this is what happens. And then what you don't want to happen is that that child almost gets labeled as that kind of child in the other children's brains. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, because that can be destructive to the child, to everybody. And it's hard to come back from that. Um, Because even even though they're elementary children, like they're going to talk about each other. I mean, it's that's just what happens. We're human beings, right? Yeah. Well, and they they especially if that's the way that the adults lead a response in the classroom of, you know, oh, don't go do that, you know, or that child can't handle like. And so we want to be really careful about that. It it can evolve anyway. I mean, I've had conversations with my whole class with a child who was quite, quite prone to escalation, you know, very loud, noticeable escalation in the classroom on a daily basis. And at a point when this child was older and really making some conscious, deliberate effort to shift and change and, um, he this child was having trouble the class was not allowing it because they had sort of kind of said you know they were responding as if um this child was going to escalate even when this child was working hard Mm. not to yes and so we Mm -hmm. actually had a whole class conversation this was an upper elementary class where we did we just talked about how children you know how we have to let people be willing to change and sometimes when people are changing and we keep them in a box like it really gets in the way of their development and so we i mean i had asked this child ahead of time if we could have this conversation if that would be okay and we um and then we moved forward with it so Really helping, like figuring out, helping a child to figure out what's going on when when that happens, how they can how they can help to manage themselves or get help from you before they escalate, how they can start to recognize what triggers those things. Getting to the bottom of all of that of all of that is really powerful and it allows children to fully exercise their freedom and responsibility. Now, if mm-hmm. we have a child that struggles like that and we don't ever let that child do anything independently or leave the school for a going out or anything like that, we're not giving the child like the whole the whole thing I've heard people say, well, they have to show me they're responsible before they can have I that know, freedom. right. <laughs> right. <sighs> You know, I I mean, freedom and responsibility don't develop at the same rate all the time. And if Mm. you're waiting for a child, a child to prove some objective sort of level of responsibility before you give them, you know, some sort of associated freedom that you've decided is equal, there will be a lot of children that will never get there. And the last thing we want is children to leave our environment not having experienced freedom and the consequences of your own choices because then they're going into adolescence without all that experience under under their belts. And adolescence is a whole different time where, you know, we want them to have had some capacity and really safe environments to exercise freedom and responsibility and the mistakes Mm -hmm. that go along with both of those before they're headed into adolescence where their brains are going through some massive change again and their bodies and everything else. Um, So if our goal is to just control these children because their outbursts are so inconvenient for the classroom, (laughs) we're not helping. And I get it. Like they are. I understand. I mean, I've had some quite 
you know, explosive children in my classes. But, um, but the reality is that we're not, we're not giving, helping develop their, you know, um, self-control, self-discipline skills, and we're not giving them, you know, getting to the bottom of it or help giving them some tools to help them before they hit adolescence when a bunch of other stuff, um, they have to deal with as well. Their changes in their bodies and their brains and, and the, you know, becoming more, um, independent, just what, what society allows. So we really have to put the time in with these children and it does take time. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. so it, but it's definitely worth it. If you can get, if you can build that relationship and help figure out and help that child figure out how, how to, um, how to recognize what they're feeling when they're feeling it, how to build toward a, a resolution. Um, there's a great resource for this. I love, um, Dr. Howard Green's work. Um, he's written lost at school. Mm, That's um, a good one. And his website is, um, lives in the balance.org. Uh, he has some great support for, for these, you know, types of children that are really struggling with basically freedom and responsibility and all of that. And, and some great ways to approach it. Um, if you guys want to check out his work. Yeah. I'll link that at the, in the episode description because, oh yeah, he's amazing and lost at school that book. Oh, it's, it's an amazing read and it's really helpful for these kinds of, um, these beautiful children there, some of my favorites as well. Um, because the work that you put in with them is really, really, um, it is difficult, but it's also really transformative for them. And they're never going to forget that care and attention that you gave to them. And, um, I also want to say, um, and I did this myself. I, I found myself in a situation where I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, uh, what was appropriate or how to handle a situation. And like, go ask for help from either a mentor of yours or your school administration or something because um, things might be coming up in your classroom with children um, who escalate that you just might not feel prepared for. And that's totally okay because um, when this happens for the first time or even just a time, it can be shocking and our human instincts kind of can take over and it might not be in the best way. So I'm just urging you (laughs) If you need help, ask for it um, because totally you, you don't want to react the wrong way or I, I don't know. I mean, every of course, we're all going to make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes with with children like this, too. And, you know, but once I talked to people about it, worked with the parents and started working with, you know, whoever I was working with, um, I found that it was attainable and that it became a journey instead of like something I had to stop. You know, it became something that I was like, okay, we're going to work on this together. And then you see, you see improvement and it's great. It's great. Um, And you definitely want to keep your classroom safe. You want your classroom to be a safe physical place and emotional place. So that's just your main goal and you need it to be safe for children and any child. It might be the one who's escalating. It might be the other who, whoever, everybody needs to be safe, bottom line. So that's that's something really important. And, um, yeah, this is a big one. This is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I think with every child who you're starting to wonder about, about anything, like thinking about, um, 
who is this child? What do you know about this child? What's getting in this child's way? Observe mm-hmm. for a while. Think about responses. Talk to mentors or others, you know, for um, helper ideas as you figure out the puzzle of what's getting in the way of this child's development and how can you remove the obstacles or help the child over them or figure or, you know, work with the child to to um, to fully be able to uh, develop and and really exercise freedom and responsibility. Yeah, it's all about that collaboration and that partnership um, with these children in your class. And again, it just takes some time and patience. But if you put the work in um, and the children, they put they're they're doing the work too. Um, you'll start to see, um, you know, just how you'll see their potential. You know, that that's sort of what happens, I think. I guess there's there's a Montessori quote, and I'm going to, I don't know exactly what it is, but she says that the child hasn't revealed themselves to you. Is that right? Yeah, or that we're, I mean, or I'm not sure which one you're thinking of. I don't know. <laughs> one that I love too, and I'm not sure where it's from either. So here we are, just hobbling here we our go. way through okay. half-remembered <laughs> Montessori quotes. <laughs> But the idea that we're always observing for the child who's not yet there. Yeah. So we're always open to seeing what the child's going to show us. Will they? Re- what will they reveal to us? What can we see? Yes. You know, we're going to see. We know uh, the sort of broad brush expectations of their development. What what we should be seeing, and so we're always watching to for the child to reveal that to us and to reveal yeah. themselves to us as people and to reveal the different aspects of their development. So we just have to always be watching for that because it can be easy for us to get stuck in. Oh, this child never works, and so of course then you right. don't see the child working because you've already decided the child never works. Um, <laughs> right, right. We can't just make up our minds, right? Like, it, you know, I mean, yeah. it's e- it's quick. It's easy to just jump to those conclusions, but keep an open mind and uh, patience again and um, lean on the people that are in your Montessori circle and your teaching circle at your school. You know, everybody's dealing with lots of stuff, right? And lean on each other um, because it feels good to talk about these things. I mean, we have to keep confidentiality in mind. You don't want to go like blabbing on your Facebook page about what happened in class today. Please don't do that. But um, it's important to talk it out and get help from others. So don't be afraid. Um, It takes a lot sometimes to ask for help because you have to admit that something's not working in your class. Um, But it's okay. (laughs) Odds are everybody's been there. Um, I know I have. And Jamie, I'm sure you have too, of course. So uh, yep. just don't be afraid to ask for help, and uh, you'll be you'll be a better teacher for it, and your your the students in your classroom will be in a better place because of it too. Thanks everybody for listening. Just again, go ahead and check out Sapling Supply, and if you want to buy any of their products, you can use our all things Montessori discount code for 10% off. Just type in ATM10 for 10% off. Also a big thank you to our patrons. Oh, if you want to become a patron of all things Montessori, head on over to our Patreon page. It's linked at the bottom of this episode. And this comes with bonus content. You can receive all things Montessori merchandise in the mail. There are all sorts of fun things that come with this. So head on over to Patreon to become a patron. And thank you guys so much for your ongoing support.